Welcome to the Mission Driven Mom podcast. This podcast is for moms just like you who want to learn how to glorify God through finding and embracing true principles, discovering and developing your greatest gifts, and using them to serve your family and community. Welcome back to the Mission Driven Mom podcast. I'm Audrey Rinlesbacher. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to be able to share some additional insights into the principles of addiction recovery that we covered in a previous podcast. You don't need to have heard that podcast to listen to this one, but I recommend you go back and listen to it. Uh, Definitely builds upon what's discussed there. We'd love to grow this podcast, so we'd love it if you shared it out to friends and family, if you subscribed and wrote us a review so others would know how it's benefiting your life, and we would love to have you in the Mission Driven Mom Mastermind Facebook group to discuss these podcasts more in depth. So a while back, I did a podcast on the principles of addiction recovery. Today is the principles of addiction in action. I thought of an experience that really exemplifies these principles really well that happened with one of my children or many others, of course, that I could share. And I think as I tell this story, you'll see your own life and and your own experiences and perhaps your own children in this experience because it's very typical of the kind of thing that we all do and the ways in which we deceive ourselves and get ourselves into trouble and eventually into addiction. In the Principles of Addiction Recovery podcast, I talked about five triggers. Now, there are different programs that talk about different kinds of triggers. These go back to the original Alcoholics Anonymous book. They don't talk about them quite this directly, but you definitely can glean it from the writing And in working with addicts for the last several years, my husband has come to see that these are definitely triggers and there's really valuable anecdotes. So there's selfishness and the anecdote for that is service. Dishonesty, the anecdote of course is truth. Resentment, the anecdote is to forgive. Self-pity, the anecdote is to be grateful. And fear is a trigger and you... Um, get rid of fear with faith. So I had this experience with my daughter, but I've had many of these kinds of experiences with other children and have also been trapped in these triggers myself many, many times. So one day my daughter was playing with her younger siblings and not playing with them. They had friends over. And they were hanging out with their friends, but she thought it sounded fun to kind of hang out with them too. And we have a rec center nearby, but you have to be older in order to be able to go there without an adult. And she was old enough and some of the younger kids were not old enough. And she knew that they liked to play there and these kids weren't old enough to go there alone. And I don't know who originally brought it up, if the kids asked her if they'd take her or if she brought it up because sometimes she will. But somehow it was decided that she was going to take them over to the rec center. And she had told them that, yes, in fact, she would do this. So I was, um, I was busy doing something and I was going to be busy for the next little while. And somehow this situation came to my attention. I can't remember how. 
And the kids told, oh, I think they, I think they came and complained to me that she had promised to take them and that now she was going back on her promise. And she, you know, was like, well, yeah, but you know, we don't need to go. Don't you guys want to do something else? So this little conversation ensues and the kids run downstairs and I look at her and tell her, you need to take them to the rec center. I'm busy. They're bored. You promised them that you would do this and you need to keep your promises. So it doesn't have to be a long time, but you do need to keep that promise and take them over there. So by this point, she has made her own promise and she has also been asked by her parent to do this. It was a free day. She didn't have anything going, really just sitting around the house, kind of bored anyway. I knew it would keep them all busy and have them have having a good time. And as I told her later, building uh, their relationships, their sibling relationships, that was one of my motivations for asking her to keep her promise. Of course, she should just keep it anyway, but... So I go and I, I'm busy for probably half an hour or something. And, um, I finish up what I'm doing and, you know, it's interesting cause I have this presentiment that perhaps, uh, they haven't gone. And eventually I hear the kids still in the yard. So I know for a fact that they haven't gone. So I'm already upset because when I head downstairs, because I already know she hasn't done what I asked her to do and they haven't gone over to the rec center. So I uh, go outside. I'm sure that I didn't handle it perfectly uh, or maybe even as I should because I was already upset. I didn't yell or anything, but I I went outside and I, I basically said, why aren't you guys at the rec center? And she says, oh, well, they didn't, they don't, they don't want to go anymore. <laughs> and because we're kind of talking across the yard, the kids hear her say this and they pipe in with, yes, we do. Why are you saying that? We totally want to go. And she's like, <laughs> and this, this sentence is classic. This is an important part of the whole story. She says, well, you didn't say anything. Okay. And, and they said, well, we were just waiting on you. You know, they're just jumping on the tramp, hanging out with their friends, waiting on her to take them. So I tell her to come in (laughs) to talk to me privately. So we come in the house and we go to a private room and shut the door. And I say, now I feel like I need to give you a consequence because I asked you to do something and you disobeyed me. And she starts telling me how she really didn't know that they wanted to go. And she didn't think they wanted to go anymore because when she got down there, they were having such a good time. And so there was no reason for her to take them. And so then I proceed to tell her, no, it doesn't matter if they want to go or not, or even if, you know, they just said they want to go, but you didn't obey me. So even if you know, they had said they didn't want to go, which they didn't say. So I start, you know, kind of asking her questions and saying to her now, but you didn't obey me. I asked you to take them. So then, then she starts in to the classic thing that we also all do with, why are you getting on me about this? This is so not a big deal. What is the big deal about this? You know, I didn't think they wanted to go. I didn't feel like taking them. We were all having a good time outside. You totally interrupted our good time. Um, Why are you making such a big deal about this? I'm a good kid. 
And I'm like, well, of course you're a good kid. She's like, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't do drugs. I don't do this. You know, I don't, I don't get into all kinds of trouble. So I don't understand. You're just making a big deal out of nothing. And she gets up to leave the room. And now I'm sitting here thinking about this situation, which of course it's not the first time that it's happened. And I've raised many kids at this point. And I'm feeling still upset and uncomfortable with how things are happening. And I'm like, you need to sit back down. We need to talk this through. And so then, <laughs> then she starts into the next round of, you are just so hard on me. You have way too big of expectations of me. You're just not being fair and starts doing this blaming thing, getting angry at me saying, you know, rude, resentful things. <clears throat> so I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's not what this is about. All I'm doing is telling you that you haven't obeyed me and we're, and, and I'm, you know, I, I'm kind of, you've probably had this experience. I'm kind of in the back of my mind, frantically trying to think, okay, you know, analyzing my own behavior. Am I making too big a deal about this? Should I be sitting here still talking about this? I feel like she needs a consequence. I don't know what the consequence should be. I, I don't know what, you know, I'm just feeling a little lost in this parenting moment. And uh, so then the next tactic starts up and she starts talking about, you know, you're just, yeah, that's true. You, you know, you just expect way too much of me and you're way too hard on me and things are really hard, you know, with, with the kids at school and, and they're not being, you know, nice to me or whatever. And I had this hard thing with this kid there and it's been so hard since this and that. And I don't even remember what all the things were, but then she got herself so worked up that by this point she's crying. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> And, 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 and now I'm looking at the situation, like she's angry at me. She's, she's, she's resentful. She's over there crying. And I, I'm kind of am wondering if I'm making too big a deal about this. I haven't said, you know, to my credit in this parenting scenario, I hadn't said anything rude or demeaning, you know, I hadn't attacked her character or anything like that. I had just and I realized now looking back, what I had, what I kept doing was pressing the truth. I kept standing on those principles. I kept standing on the truth saying, but, but you didn't obey me and you didn't keep your promise. Like nothing that's happening right now, none of this drama, none of this crying, none of these justifications change the fact that, that that's what you chose. And so I can't remember at what point, somewhere in this moment of all of this kind of going on, she's crying and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, what should I do? This light goes on. <laughs> I think it was probably because she had gotten so worked up that she was crying, that it was a lot easier to identify the self-pity. And as soon as I identified the self-pity as a trigger, I was like, okay, okay, okay. There are triggers happening right now. This is the problem is she's in these triggers. So I, you know, I, I comfort her for a minute and whatever. And then I say, okay, you remember when I taught you about the tr triggers and we've been talking about that. Okay. So 
the first point in, in this whole scenario being teach your children the principles before you have the parenting and disciplining moments so that you can return to those truths and they won't think that you're like trying to make up something on the spot or whatever. And it, it's so critical for them because then they can see those things in action in their lives. And that's really, you know, I'll go through this with you so that you can see how empowered she was because that's really what, that's really what we want is we want to know those principles and teach them ahead of time and to know how to identify them. And, and sometimes we might feel confused or frustrated in the moment, but then those principles can rescue us. And because I was committed to the truth and I, I wasn't demeaning or blaming, I didn't become a victim. I didn't get angry. I just was like, but wait a minute. And, and, and kind of my dominant emotion for a while was kind of confusion. Like, okay, why, why do I feel so strongly about this? But it is, maybe she's right that it isn't this big of a deal. And so these, these, these principles came to our rescue and I, I, you know, I, so I calmed her down. I said, you know, those triggers I told you about, she says, yeah, I said, they're working right now. You're in the triggers right now. And it really, it really shocked her. You know, she definitely, her countenance changed and, and she kind of looked at me like, really? And and I said, I said, yeah, and you're, you're, you're struggling with these triggers. And that's why I said, I said, do you like how you're feeling right now? And she's like, well, of course I don't like how I feel right now. You know, I just feel, I feel crappy or whatever. I'm like, yeah, okay. So you know that you don't like how you feel right now. And that's a good indication that something is really wrong. Now, I don't want to get into all of the, you know, when we go through trial, when we're grieving, great loss and all that kind of stuff. Of course, there are times in life where we're not happy and blissful every moment. And we want to feel the whole range of emotions and sorrow and sadness and loss. This is not one of those moments. It's just a normal day. Normal life is going on. There's no reason for her to be bawling about whatever it is and off on some tangent that doesn't even apply to this specific situation. So I said, yes, I said, let's do this. Let's begin at the beginning and let's deconstruct the last half an hour and let's see what actually really happened. Because when we understand what really happened, then you'll be able to see for yourself how these triggers are working out in your life. You know, how you're, how you're falling prey to them and how they're making you unhappy and they're causing, you know, negative consequences in your life. So we go back to the beginning and she explains the conversation with the kids. And again, you know, it's clear. Yes, she did tell them in some way, shape or form that yes, indeed, she wasn't busy and she would take them over to the rec center. So we established that the first item of truth in the situation was that she had made her siblings a promise. The second thing that we established was that I, in addition, asked her to do this thing for her siblings and that I had good principled reasons for asking her to do that, that it would create memories, that it would build relationships and that it would cause her and them to feel better, you know, about themselves and about their day that they had done something constructive and creative together instead of just sitting, you know, on a phone or something. And so then she started to look at my side of things and why I had asked her to do it. And of course that I wanted her to keep a promise to her siblings and so that there would be trust between them and trust in their relationships. 
So we're, 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 we're back to the truth. We're grounded in the truth. And then the next thing that happens, I say, so why didn't you go? And she says, well, I didn't think they wanted to. Now, this is not the truth, and I knew it wasn't the truth. But even if I hadn't known it was, wasn't the truth, what I needed to do was what I did next, and that was question her. Why didn't you think they wanted to go? Well, they didn't say they wanted to go. Well, did you tell them that I asked you to take them? Well, no. Why didn't you tell them I wanted you to take them? Why didn't you obey me and go downstairs and take them? And now we get to the next truth, and that is she didn't want to. So she's made a promise she doesn't want to keep. She's been um, given a directive by her parent that she doesn't want to obey. She has two choices. She can do it anyway. She can just be obedient and keep her promise. She can do her duty. And this, of course, when we spend time in older literature, it's really nourishing for us because we can see that that is a paradigm and a core first principle that was taught in our nation up to the last 50 or 60 years, that you must do your duty, especially in the 1900s, um, 1800s, such a, an important, I mean, yeah, the 1800s, 1700s, such a, such a key principle of, of doing your duty. And ultimately, what would that have been? That would have been her serving. That would have been her thinking of others. Her other option was to try to get out of it. Basically not to do it, but in her case as a child or anyone who's in a position of inferiority to someone, to do it without getting into trouble, right? <laughs> so, and that, of course, is thinking of herself. So we have established the truth and um, the expectation, and she can either choose to be selfish or to serve. That's basically her first choice in the triggers. And she chose the first trigger, which was selfishness. She chose to think of herself instead of thinking of others and to find a way to appease everyone. And so she created the next, then she, so, so thinking about herself and being selfish forced her to become dishonest because the only way she could stay in truth was to serve and do her duty. The only way that she could be honest with herself and others was to actually do what she'd promised to do and been asked to do. If she was going to choose the first trigger of selfishness, then she was going to have to be dishonest to execute the selfishness, right? And so the way that she chose to get out of it was to be dishonest with the kids, with me, and with herself. The way that she orchestrated this was to decide in her mind that she would come downstairs and sit near the kids and act like she was interacting with them and have fun, but not say anything. And her plan worked because by, by doing, by constructing the situation that way, it allowed her to be able to say, the kids didn't ask me to go, which they had already asked her, but they hadn't asked her again in the last half hour. And it allowed her to be able to say, 
quote, I didn't think they wanted to go, which of course in her heart, she knew wasn't true, but she felt that she could deceive me by then the, and the kids by orchestrating the situation this way so that they wouldn't know that I had asked her to take them so that they would be deceived and she would be, be, uh, being dishonest with them. And that when she saw me, she could tell me that they hadn't asked to go, which was her first response to me when I came down and said, why haven't you gone? And then of course, ultimately she's lying to herself which of course does the greatest damage to her own character that she didn't stay in truth in the first trigger. And then she chose that second trigger of being dishonest. So once we had deconstructed the beginning of this scenario and she began to see that she chose to be selfish and she chose to be dishonest, then in the breakdown that happened (laughs) in our private conversation, you can see pretty much all the rest of the triggers playing out, okay? So first of all, she got really defensive and justifying and and wanted to deflect the guilt that she felt because I'm calling her out on it. You didn't obey me. That's a fact. That's a truth. You didn't obey me. And that disobedience, because natural law is real and because she has a conscience, She knows that that's the truth and she didn't live in line with the truth. So she feels guilty and she doesn't want to feel guilty. So she tries to deflect that guilt and blame. She doesn't want to have blame on her. So she deflects it onto me. I'm making a big deal about it and I'm telling her she's a bad kid and I don't respect and honor her for the good kid that she is. And I make, you know, I, I'm hurting her feelings and all that kind of stuff. And of course she's fearful of the consequences. I've told her, I think I need to give her a consequence. She doesn't know what that might look like. And she wants to see her friends and she wants to do the things she wants to do. So now she's afraid she's going to get a consequence. And then of course, all of that led to the self pity, the little pity party that she was having all of a sudden something that was just about going to the rec center for 30 to 60 minutes turns into my life is horrible. And I have all these problems and all this kind of stuff. Half of which she and I both know wasn't true because in self pity, we're not in truth. And so we don't speak the truth about ourselves and about our situation. We exaggerate it to make ourselves look more like a victim because of course, um, when you're the victim, you get to relinquish yourself of responsibility. And all these themes, the self-deception and victimhood and all that kind of stuff, these are all major core concepts of level one in the academy that we really delve deeply into and do readings and discussion and, and lectures so that we can get out of these triggers and get out of these of these behaviors. Now, once we're to this point where she can see that the trigger and and it was fascinating to watch her countenance because the more that we just described it in like a logical well-reasoned way like it wasn't about you're a horrible person it was analyzing it was stepping out of a situation and stepping out of certain behaviors and just looking at them like a third person and saying so then this happened and this happened and this is why it happened because one trigger leads to another trigger and they eventually lead to worse and worse behavior the more we stay in those triggers because then she's going to start being disrespectful she's going to treat me badly her consequences are going to accelerate you know they're going to get worse all that kind of stuff and 
her countenance just changed and she became more and more interested in analyzing it. And by the time we got to the end, she was like, yeah. And then I was in self-pity and I was thinking this and I was thinking this and, and those things actually aren't true and things actually aren't that bad. And so when she could see that the truth was she simply didn't want to do something and it led to this whole, all of these other worse and worse and worse behaviors. It really was fascinating to watch how liberating it was for her. But I want to return to something that she said that was kind of a theme of this discussion. When she asked this question, well, does this make me a bad person? You know, I'm not a bad person. And that's what, that's what guilt does to us. When we're out of line with truth, we feel guilty. And that guilt makes us feel like we're a bad person. And it's our job to rid ourselves of that guilt in a healthy, responsible way. We really only have two choices. We can get rid of the guilt in healthy, responsible ways or in unhealthy, irresponsible ways. And that's what she was trying to do. And so she was trying to deflect that guilt onto me. Now, everybody does this. She's just a normal human being. She's not evil. She's not wicked. It was a very small, and you can see how she would be thinking, what is the big deal? This is the stupidest conversation. This is such a tiny thing. But I told her then, and I'll say it now to all of us moms, I could see that if this situation was ignored over and over and over again, it would develop into bad, a bad character. You know, it was developing her character in one way or another. She's trying to cut corners. She's trying to get out of doing what she knows is right. And the more that we can help her see where that path leads when she doesn't do what she knows is right, the more motivated she'll be to always do what she knows is right. So I, I, I gave a, there's another podcast on Suzuki. He's phenomenal. Go listen to it. But he, I, I, I tell this story about when he's dishonest and he does the same kind of thing. He's, he's self-deceptive. And he goes down to the bookstore and he finds Tolstoy's diary. And Tolstoy says two things that strike him to the core. To deceive oneself is worse than to deceive others. And the voice of conscience is the voice of God. And, and Suzuki does for himself kind of basically what my daughter and I were doing for her. And that was to deconstruct a situation. He had all kinds of guilt because he knew he hadn't just been straightforward and honest and accepted the consequences and the embarrassment that would have come from having someone know that he didn't know how to use a typewriter and that he was in fact typing on the keys. And it was such a dumb, tiny thing. It was just as dumb and insignificant as not taking your, your siblings to the rec center, maybe even more so because it was just one little simple white lie. But it was a turning point in his life because he chose to go out and look for the truth and his commitment to trying to find the truth led him to a book that changed his life and to a man who was very God-fearing, who was able to tutor him through his diary. Suzuki said, 
I determined to live according to these ideas. And so he committed himself to obeying his conscience all the time at all costs because he could see where not obeying his conscience led him and he didn't want to go there. He didn't want to feel that way again. And he wasn't perfect and he made mistakes. And I'm sure there were times when he didn't obey his conscience. But ultimately, we have to remember that sensitivity to conscience, the ability to really hear it and understand it and, and to see, to have that, that long-term picture in our minds of if I listen to this small little prompting I'm hearing, if I stay out of self-deception, if I'm honest, if I do my duty, whatever the circumstance might be, I'm going to have a different result than if I don't do it. And I'm committed to that result. I want to be that kind of person. I want to have those results of really loving myself and feeling good about myself and knowing that I'm an honest, integrous person. Then you're going to get better and better and better at this. It isn't something we're all born with conscience. We all know inherently the law of human nature. And like I always say, it's one of the greatest arguments for the fact that we are created beings and we have a, a, a God. But you have to develop this skill. You have to nurture your sensitivity to your conscience. And the only way to do that is to obey it again and again. And understanding these triggers of addiction and understanding these other principles and truths that we talk about in the academy and the mastermind group and, and wherever we can will really make all the difference for you. If you're resentful enough, if you're fearful enough, if you're in self-pity enough, you will definitely engage in worse and worse behaviors and you will eventually become addicted and worse because that is the road where that's the road you're on when you give in to the triggers and understanding them consciously and recognizing them in yourself and helping your children to recognize them in their behavior is going to make all the difference for them. As soon as we step outside of truth, we are in danger. And that is why we must love truth. It's one of the four fundamental laws of life mission. And we must be committed to truth. The greatest men and women that have ever lived, the truly mission-driven men and women who we admire and want to emulate, were truth seekers. They wanted to know the truth. They didn't shy away from it. They embraced it and they lived it. And so that's my challenge. Go listen to that other, those other podcasts if you haven't heard them. Look at these triggers. Think about them. Teach them to your children and recognize them over and over again for them in the situations that you run in in your parenting experiences so that your children will be empowered to understand where giving into the triggers will lead them that they don't want to go there and that's a life they don't want to have. That they have the power to stay in truth and to experience the joy and the self-acceptance and self-love that comes from really living and abiding in truth all the time. Thank you so much for joining me. If you don't have your copy of the Mission Driven Life ebook for free, go get it at themissiondrivenmom.com and I'll see you next time.